Brilliant. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Chabura. Um, we don't count the weeks anymore. We've only got a few weeks left before we celebrate our one-year anniversary. Uh, it is very, very exciting that the membership program begins in July. I'm sure you have all been bombarded with the messages. Uh, I mentioned last time that our target of students has been, you know, it's, it's exploded. I mean, it's much more than we had expected. Hashem, and uh, we've still got a few weeks to go before the deadline for applications close. So if you haven't signed up yet, please do so. Thehabura.com forward slash join. Let your friends know about it. Um, great to see uh, a couple of calls today with um, institutions that have students who want to join the Habura. So we're, we're trying to branch out even further and make it even more international. So it's very, very exciting. Uh, we do have a couple of additional shirim planned in uh, June. Um, usually we have one a week, but we've got a couple of extra ones just in time for launch. One of them from Rav Chaim Rappaport, which we're very excited about. Um, and uh, you'll hear more about that very soon. Tonight, today, wherever you all are, we have a special guest, a special hacham that we've had here before. And we do actually have signed up for a three-part series um, on Eben Hayazer. Uh, this is Diane Ofer Levnatz. Diane Levnatz serves as a Diane on the Sephardi Din of the United Kingdom, a graduate of the Eretz Hemda Institute for Advanced Jewish Studies in Yerushalayim. Diane Levnatz teaches in a number of programs for training rabbis and Dayanim, including the Semicha and Dayanus programs run jointly by the Montefiore Endowment of London, our cherished partners and Eretz Chemda Institute of Yerushalayim. He is a lecturer on Tanakh at the Jerusalem College as well. And Daniel Livnat has previously served in an artillery unit in the IDF and is currently studying for a PhD in Jewish studies at University College London. Tonight's topic is on differentiating between eternal and temporal mitzvot, a topic that I know very little about and I should know a lot more about because I know it's a focus for Haram Bam. So I'm very, very excited, as I'm sure many of us are here tonight, to learn about this. Daniel Livnat, thank you for being here again. It's our honor to have you. Bechavod. Hey, uh, good evening or afternoon, morning, whatever it is for everyone. Uh, thank you, Sina, for that uh, wonderful uh, introduction. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here again. Um, so I don't know how many here were in, in the previous shiurim I gave to the Chabura, but we, we started to learn uh, different concepts uh, from Sefer HaMitzvot of uh, the Rambam. And in Sefer HaMitzvot, the, Ramba, the Rambam lays out principles for how to, again, his goal in the book is to list the 613 mitzvot. And he lays out the, the principles, the foundations for how you define and categorize a mitzvah. And on the basis of these principles, he will enumerate the 613 mitzvot because Chazal did not provide us an official list of the 613 mitzvot. They said there are, there are 613 mitzvot, but they never actually told us what they are. The Geonim, who preceded the Rambam, produced many lists, but the Rambam has a lot of criticism on their list. He says that they're not methodical. They're not working according to principles as to how to categorize a mitzvah to list it, and therefore he lays out his own principles, and his list is supposed to... Um, uh, replace the previous different lists that were composed. Now, what's interesting about, and this is why I think it's particularly, it's, it's worthwhile to study Sefer HaMitzvot, is that in these principles, 
the Rambam actually is hitting on some very, very fundamental questions in the understanding of Torah and Lalacha. And we already discussed in the previous Shurim a few of them. Like, for example, the first principle that the Rambam laid out is that we do not count mitzvot de Rabbanan, which raised and raised the question, what is the authority of the Chachamim? Which is uh, one, one part uh, that we discussed previously. His second principle was not to um, count mitzvot that are derived from the Yudhim and Midot Torah Nidreshebem, which are the techniques in which the Chachamim were able to derive halachot from the Psukim, which also raised a very important question and a tremendous debate ensued following what the Rambam wrote there on what is the status and authority of the Midrash Chachamim. So these are all very fundamental questions that arise from these principles that the Harambam uh, uh, lays out. So tonight we're going to deal with the third principle that the Harambam laid out. And that is, the principle in short, is that he, sa he says we only list eternal mitzvot, we don't list temporal mitzvot, okay? Obviously he didn't say it in English, he wrote it in Arabic, it was translated to Hebrew, but that's in a nutshell the principle. And obviously the question is, first of all, what does that mean, eternal versus temporal? And also, what, what, what is, why is that something that is uh, significant? Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll dive right into the words of Harambam. I'll just say, in terms of sort of the logic of the order of the list of how the Rambam is proceeding, the first two ones that we mentioned are, I guess, mitzvot or alachot that are not stated explicitly in the psukim. In other words, the first one is relates to things that are the Rabbanan. They're not stated at all in the Torah. They were only said later. Like for example, to light Hanukkah candles, it, it doesn't, it's not mentioned anywhere in the Torah for obvious reasons, because it was only many years later that it was instituted. Midrash Chachamim is a bit borderline. Why? Because it doesn't say it in a simple reading of the psukim. It's sort of a technique that Chachamim derived it from the psukim. But that too, Rambam claims that it's not really written in the Torah, despite the fact that Chachamim somehow derived it from the Torah, since it's not the pshat of the psukim, it's not the simple reading of the verses, then it's not written explicitly in the Torah, and therefore it cannot be uh, listed as a mitzvah. Now the one that we're coming to are mitzvot that are written in the Torah. It's black and white in the psukim. There's no question that they are listed in the Torah, but nevertheless, the Rambam says we need to exclude them from our list of, on 613 mitzvot because they're not eternal mitzvot. They were given for a specific time, specific circumstances. They're not for eternity, and therefore uh, they need to be excluded. Okay, so that's in a nutshell what he says. And now we'll 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 uh, get to to his actual words. So I'll share the screen. Thankfully, uh, the Safaria website provides uh, an English translation of Sefer HaMitzvot, so I've uh, sort of put it um, one next to the other. I'll read from the Hebrew and, and translate uh, to English, but you also have uh, in front of you the translation. Also, I think Sina sent it on the WhatsApp uh, group, so you can download uh, the file from there as well. So he says as follows, the third principle, Again, the principles of how to enum, uh, how to categorize a mitzvah. That it is not correct to count mitzvot which do not practice for all generations. Da, 
כי אומרם תרי"ג מצוות נאמרו לו למשה בסיני, אוקיי, okay, in other words, the Gemara says, in מסכת מכות, 630 מצוות were told to משה in סיני. So the Rambam says that very phrase of, of Chazal, מורה עליות זה המספר, הוא מספר המצוות הנוהגות לדורות. In other words, the fact that they said 630 מצוות were told in סיני, that means that the מצוות they're referring to is only מצוות which are practiced for generations. Why, you'll tell me, what's the connection? Even if it was said in Sinai, who says that it was for large generations? So he says, כי מצוות שאינן נוהגות לדורות, אין קשר להן בסיני, הן שנאמרו בסיני או בזולתו. He says, מצוות which are not uh, valid or authoritative for all generations, they are not connected to Sinai, whether they were said on Sinai or not. In other words, this is a bit clever, but, uh, and we'll come back to this later because I want to go in more in depth in what he means here. But briefly, he's saying when the Gemara says they were said in Sinai, it's not talking about the location of where they were said. There, there could be mitzvot that were actually said in Sinai, but the Talmud would not consider them to be mitzvot that are said in Sinai because the concept of Sinai is not the location of where they were said. Rather, v'omnam kivnu v'omram b'sinai, in other words, what Chazal mean when they Sinai, they don't refer to, you know, the specific mountain where it was said, but rather it's referring to the giving of the Torah in Sinai, that special revelation that occurred in Sinai, which serves as sort of the, the giving of the Torah, that's what is meant by Sinai. Uh, here the Rambam omitted the continuation of the verse, but the continuation of the verse, in other words, and this is a, very, a verse that is very important to the Rambam, he discusses it in a lot of places, in other words, the giving of the Torah is Sinai. So really, and I'll try to come back to this point later, but just briefly we see here from the Rambam that he understands Torah as by definition something that is eternal. It cannot be something which is not noheg ledorot. The Torah, by definition, has to be ledorot. It has to be for all generations. It has to be eternal. So you can replace the word Torah with Sinai. Sinai just means Torah. It's not, there could have been things that were said in Sinai which were temporary. And there were actually things said in Sinai which were said just for Sinai. For example, you know, during the revelation of Sinai, they were told you have to... Uh, you know, stay away from the mountain, okay? But that's that's not a mitzvah for all generations. That was a specific mitzvah just for that time that they would have to keep away from the mountain. But he's saying Chazal would not consider that a mitzvah given at Sinai, because when Chazal say Sinai, they mean the giving of the Torah, and the Torah is eternal. Okay, let's go, keep going. And we'll see this point also uh, from uh, the further sources that Arambam brings. What's the source for the 613 mitzvot? Okay, what's being employed here is what we call a gematria, in which each letter in Hebrew has a numerical value. So the numerical value of the word Torah is 611. Why? Because taf is 400, 
uh, vav is six, that's 406. Reish is 200, so that's 606. Hey is five. So add it up together, that's 611. So Torah Tzivalanu Moshe Morasha means that 611 mitzvot Tzivalanu Moshe. So that's 611. Where do we get uh, 613? Those, the people of Israel heard directly from Hashem. So two mitzvot they received directly from Hashem. You know, that you believe in God, that you cannot believe in other gods. Um, those were heard directly in the revelation at Sinai from Hashem. The other 611 mitzvot were given through the intermediary through Moshe. The, the Rambam has a very interesting explanation to, to what does it mean that what does that mean exactly that they heard that directly from Hashem? I think he explains there, I'll just say briefly, that in Sinai, there was a, the, because of the, everybody sort of, all the people received a certain prophetic level of vision, then they, it's not that they heard the words Anuchi and Loyalecha directly from Hashem, but the revelation proved to them the truth of the existence of Hashem and the falsity of all the other gods. And that's what it means that that sort of they received directly from God due to the revelation that all the people of Israel had on the revelation of Sinai. Okay, how does this connect to what he's saying here? So he continues to explain. So what we heard, not directly from Hashem, but only through Moshe, who is the intermediary for the giving of Torah, that's 611 mitzvot. And he says, this is a morasha, an inheritance to Kilat Yaakov. Kilat Yaakov is the people of Israel, who are also at times called Yaakov. If it's a mitzvah, which is not for all generations, then you can't consider it to be a morasha, an inheritance. Because In other words, a true inheritance is one that is passed on from generation to generation. This is a little hard for us to identify with, but that's because we haven't been a people of land only until recently when we've returned to the land of Israel. But originally, you know, the idea of, of land as being eternity is a concept that very, was very strong in the old world and also in, in the Torah itself. In other words, there's a certain continuation to a person when he has a piece of land, which he passes it on as inheritance to his children, they pass it on to their children. That's supposed to be something which is eternal. And that's sort of the continuation of a person that he has this land which he received from his fathers. They, he passes it on to his children, to their children, etc. That's a true proper inheritance. Okay, and that's what the Rambam says. In other words, we say at the end of the second chapter of the Kriyachma, in other words, that the days of you and your children and their children will be uh, forever on the land that God has given you, like the days of the earth on, on the, of the sky on the earth. Just like the days of the sky on the earth are eternal, so, so the land of Israel, which we have been given, 
by Hashem, that's supposed to be inherited. Okay, so he's established that the concept of inheritance means something that's for all generations. So he says, if the Torah is called a Morashah inheritance, that means that Torah by definition has to be something which is eternal. Okay, one further proof to try to prove that when we say mitzvot in Torah, we're referring to something eternal. He brings also from another passage of Chazal on the 630 mitzvot. And he says as follows, <laughs> Okay, this is referring to another statement of Chazan that he quoted earlier in his introduction. And that is the Chazan said that the mitzvot, again, the, the, 600 and, uh, the 613 mitzvot are separated into uh, 248 positive commandments, mitzvot say positive commandments to do things, and 365 prohibitions, negative commandments, things that Yilota said that you should not do. So, Chazal say the 248 positive mitzvot are parallel to the 248 limbs that a person has. The 365 negative mitzvot are parallel to the 365 days that we have in a year. Again, the reference is to a solar year. So therefore the Rambam says these are 248 positive mitzvot which are compared to the limbs of a person. So it must be that the 248 mitzvot that we're speaking about must be eternal because we don't want, um, so to speak, to have any uh, missing limbs at any time. Okay, this is what he says here. Right, every limb is sort of being commanded to do a certain mitzvah because the, the limbs are parallel to the 248 mitzvot. And each day of the year is warning you from a because each day is parallel to one of the 365 prohibitions. So it must be this number is eternal. It cannot be that at some point in history we had 248 mitzvot and now we have 247 and later on we have 240. It must be that the 248 are stable and eternal. In other words, if you include in your list of mitzvot, mitzvot which are do not practice in all generations, then at some point, this will not be correct anymore. You can't say I have 248 uh, limbs, 365 days, because at some point you've lost some mitzvot along the way, if you will include uh, the uh, temporal uh, mitzvot. Okay, so what have we seen so far? So far, the Rambam has basically stated his principle that mitzvot must be eternal. The proofs that he's brought seem to be a little bit technical. Um, you know, he's quoted, you will hear Chazal said that it's an inheritance, here, Chazal said the 248, the 365, but must be eternal. Um, so we're still left with sort of two questions. First of all, we don't even know what he means by eternal versus temporal, but that he'll explain now. At least, in, at least we'll be able to try to figure out from the examples he will give. Also, what we'll need to sort of figure out 
is, you know, what's, what's the value of this? Why is this such a critical principle? Because he does seem to be alluding to saying that there is something fundamental going on here by saying the Torah must be eternal. Sinai is something that has to be something eternal. So it does seem to be that it's not just like a, a technical, this is what Chazal meant when they said 630, it's something that has more to do with how we define Torah. So there seems to be a little bit more going on here. Okay. So, uh, by the way, feel free to speak up or write in the chat box at any point if, so, any, if you have any questions or comments. Okay, so now let's go on to examples. What are examples of non-eternal mitzvot that the Rambam is seeking to exclude? And as usual, the Rambam is also criticizing previous lists uh, of the Geonim. So he'll mention mitzvot that were listed in previous lists, and he'll say we need to exclude these mitzvot because they're not ledorot, they're not for all generations, they are not eternal mitzvot. Okay, so let's see now the examples. Okay, he says, In other words, there was somebody besides us. Again, he doesn't mention the authors of the, the previous lists, but he just, you know, he doesn't mention them by name, but he's the one he's primarily referring to is the Bala Lachot Gdolot. That's sort of the main focus of his criticism. Um, he says, He's saying, even the Bahag only listed this. Why? Because. He was forced to, why? Because he had to get the 613 mitzvot and he was missing some mitzvot. He only could come up with so many mitzvot. So he had to add in also these uh, temporary mitzvot to fill, in, to fill in the blanks, to fill in the numbers. Okay, so what are examples that the Bahag listed? He says, for example, the In other words, when they were traveling with the Mishkan, so they had to cover up the holy kelim of the Mishkan, like the ark, like the menorah, like the shulchan. So when they were covering them up, uh, people were not allowed to come in view. In other words, there's the, the, the mishkan, again, it was holy. Nobody was allowed to enter, just the koanim. But when you're dismantling it to move it to another place, all of a sudden, all the kelim become exposed. So in Sefer Bamidah, it says, you should do it in a way. Nobody should, else, should be able to come and see when they're uh, covering up the kelim for for travel. So that's clearly something temporary that only applied to in the desert when they were traveling with the Mishkan. Okay. In other words, there also it says that the Levim should not work after the age of 50. But that's not halacha uh, for all generations. They only apply during the desert time that there was this age limitation on when the Levim. Uh, had had their roles in the carrying of, and the of the mishkan. In other words, referring to those duties, which were only for that time period. Even though Chazal say that there is a pro an uh, prohibition to steal a a klisharet, one of the holy kalim that served in the Beit Hamikdash. And Chazar said there is a hint to it in the verse Lo Yavodirot. So he says Yesh Daisi Puk. So maybe you'll tell me well that's that applies in all generations. So he says Yesh Daisi Puk Beomram Remez Veshepashte Dekray Nokid. He says it's clear that they're only saying there's a hint to it. This is not the actual meaning of the verse, and therefore it's clear that this is a mitzvah which is temporary. It's not for all generations. In other words, if this was for in all generations, 
since uh, it says there in the verse that you could die for having witnessed the view of the Kalim when they were exposed, then it would have been in the list in the uh, uh, prohibitions that are punishable by death. But it's not listed. Why? Because it doesn't, it's not, doesn't apply anymore. It was only for the desert times. Okay, and now he says, I'm very surprised. In other words, the Baal Alachot who listed these prohibitions, right? He could have listed other mitzvot, like for example, on the manna bread, you weren't allowed to leave it till morning. In other words, he could have listed other mitzvot, like don't leave from the manna bread till morning, or when they were uh, circling around the nations of Moab and Ammon to come to Israel, they were prohibited from attacking them. They had to go around them. And they, if they didn't get free entry, then they would have to make a long route around them. They weren't allowed to attack them. He said you could have listed these mitzvot also if you're listing already these all these uh, mitzvot that only apply during the desert time. Right, the sort of the uh, the uh, bronze um, um, snake that Moshe Rabbeinu made that would cure people uh, who had been bitten by the snake. So you could list that as a commandment. Right, also the the jar of man that was kept as preserved as a, a memory of the man that. Uh, uh, that came down in the desert, you could list that commandment. Uh, there are a lot of other commandments that, you know, are one-off commandments that he could have been listed. The Bahag did list, after the, the war of against the Midianites, there was a certain amount of the booty that they taken that they were required to donate to the to the Mishkan. So he could, that, and that the Bahag did list as a mitzvah, even though it's clearly only for that that the booty of that war, and he listed it as a mitzvah. So if he's listing some, then he should have listed all of them. Okay? The three days of preparation for um, the revelation at Sinai. In other words, all the mitzvot surrounding the revelation of Sinai, not to get near the mountain, all of these he could have listed. In other words, there's no disagreement that Moshe Rabbeinu was told these commandments. And these commandments are written in the Torah. Nevertheless, they're not part of the 613 mitzvot. Why? Because they're not for all generations. Okay. Um, he quotes here some, some uh, other examples of, uh, I just want, I don't want to, Spend too much time on this. He quotes here some other examples of mitzvot that were only temporary. For example, when they came to Israel and they built built the altar on the mountains of Grizim and Eval, and they had the whole ceremony with the curses and the blessings. All of that, these are one-off mitzvot. He says none of these uh, can be listed. Okay, let's just read the final passage here. And he says here as follows. The ilu hayara limnot in other words, if you were to count everything that Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded anywhere in the Torah, then that would add 
besides the mitzvot that are for all generations, he says you could add up more than 300 mitzvot. In other words, what he's saying, you have to be consistent. If you're listing some of them, you have to list all of them. If you list all of them, you'll definitely run over way beyond 613 mitzvot. So therefore, the conclusion must be that you cannot list any of them. For example, all the preparations that the Kohanim made, the, the, the eight days of Miluim that the Kohanim prepared, there are a lot of mitzvot there. Okay, so that's a lot that you could have listed. Okay, in other words, since I can't list all of them, you can't list even part of them. Right? You can't pick and choose, I'll list some and some I don't list. Because either you list all the temporal mitzvot or you don't list any of them. And he says, not like the Bahag, who listed part of them and some of them he did not list. Okay, so the claim of the Rambam seems to be at least in theory quite clear. He's saying there's a lot of mitzvot, a lot of things that Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded by Hashem, all through the travels in the desert, the Mishkan, this, that, a lot of things going on. If you'll include, we don't think of those as, as the 613 mitzvot, why? They don't apply to us. They were very limited in scope. They were said only for that time. It's clear that they're just for those days. Uh, so that's not what we mean when we think of 613 mitzvot. We, be, we, think, we, we, we think of 613 mitzvot, we think of 613 mitzvot that apply to us. Okay, and those, he says, if you'll start counting those, you'll, you'll, um, you'll run much more than 613 mitzvot. It would add an incredible amount to the list, so therefore you can't list them. Now, very interestingly, um, the Ramban, um, normally, um, the Ramban wrote Hasagot on Sefer HaMitzvot, in which he argues with the Ramban, and one of his goals was to defend the Bahag. By the way, this is in general, sort of a practice of the Ramban in a number of his books that he tries to defend earlier sources from criticism of later sources. For example, he wrote also a number of books on the Halachot of the Reef to defend the Reef from um, the criticism of later authorities like the Baalamao and the Ravad. So here also in Hasakot and Sefer HaMitzvot, he also one of the things he tries to do is defend the from the criticism of the Rambam. Well, on this one, he really struggles because he says the Rambam is definitely correct that we only have to list eternal mitzvot. He says it's really very difficult that the Bahag listed mitzvot that were only for the generation of the desert. The way he tries to, I didn't bring it to the sources. I, I don't want to go into this now. I'm just mentioning it briefly. The way he sort of tries to defend the Bahag is in two ways. First of all, he tries to claim that perhaps some of the, these mitzvot are actually eternal mitzvot. Like, for example, the one of the mitzvah limiting the age of the Leviim to the age of 50, he's saying maybe that's eternal. It's not just for the times of the desert, maybe it applies later on. And he goes through several of the examples um, that the Rambam brings, uh, um, the Rambam criticizes the Bahag family and tries to claim maybe these are eternal mitzvot. Some of them, he absolutely cannot claim that they're eternal mitzvot. Like for example, the Trumata Mechis, which is the booty taken from the war of the Midianites that they were acquired a certain percentage to give to the Mishkan. So that's clearly, that was something that was just for that war. There's no, 
halakha for all wars that you know that there's a certain percentage of the booty that you take that you need to donate. Uh, there's no permanent tax. So he says, regarding those kind of cases, he says, even though they were temporal, they have some sort of meaning and significance and message for all generations. Okay, and that's how he tries to resolve the, the opinion of the Bahag, although he admits at the end that it's very difficult and he really agrees with the Rambam on this point. Okay, so far so good. Where do the problems start? The problems start that when you actually go into the list of the 630 mitzvot, you will find a few, but not many, but there are actually a few mitzvot which do not apply anymore, okay? They do not apply at all anymore. And the Rambam himself listed them. So, so what's the definition of eternal versus temporal, okay? And here's where things, you know, like we say always, the devil's in the details, when in theory it sounds all good, but sometimes uh, you, you run into problems when you get into the details. So perhaps the most famous one, and this is one that the Rambam tried to tackle himself, is the mitzvah of going to war against the Shivata Amamim. Okay, the Shivata Amamim are the seven nations that dwelled in the land of Canaan uh, prior to the people of Israel uh, having entered uh, the land of Canaan, and there is a mitzvah uh, to go to war against them. And to, uh, I'm sorry, somebody asked in here in the chat. Uh, two questions here, I'm sorry that I missed. One is, is it eternal until Mashiach or eternal in the true sense of the word? According to the Rambam, there is no change to the Torah even in the days of Mashiach. Whatever mitzvot we have now are also the ones we will have in the times of Mashiach. He doesn't believe in uh, the theories that uh, some other authorities claim that there will be a change to the Torah and the mitzvot in the times of Mashiach. So for him, eternal is even, even for the times of Mashiach. Second question is uh, from Alan, where do we get the principle in the first place that there are precisely 630 mitzvot? That was stated by Chazal. Um, and actually the Ramban, one of the first things he does in his comments on the Rambam, he challenges the question. He says, who says that there are 613 mitzvot? But then he goes and he points out that Chazal say it in so many places, if it was just one passage in the Talmud. So we could say, okay, somebody said that 613 mitzvot. Maybe somebody else has disagreed. But he says it's, it's such a prevalent notion in Chazal. It appears in so many midrashim that it must be that this is some sort of tradition that Chazal had, that there are 613 Mitzvot. So at the ultimate day, he says it's such a widespread and accepted notion. Again, there's, it doesn't say it anywhere in the verses in scripture, but it's such a uh, prominent tradition amongst Chazal. So he says it must be that everybody agrees to it. It's unanimous. Although, like I said, nobody actually went to the trouble of counting them, at least not that we know of until the times of the Gyoni. Okay, but that's the, that's the source of that. Okay, so what are the Shivat Amamim? The Shivat Amamim are the seven nations that dwelled in the land of Israel. And when we conquered the land of Israel, uh, we need to uh, go to war against them. According to the Rambam, you first offer them peace, but if they don't agree to submit to our terms of peace, it wasn't a very uh, pleasant peaceful negotiations, the terms are very strict, but if they don't agree to those terms, then the mitzvah is to go to war against them and to eradicate them. Now, if you look at this mitzvah, is it eternal mitzvah? 
not so clear for us nowadays. It certainly doesn't apply anymore because even if uh, you'll say, oh, well, let's get south together and let's go to fight the these seven nations, you won't find them. You know, they, they're long uh, gone off the history of, uh, uh, on the, of, off the pages of the history. They don't exist anymore, these nations. So this is not a mitzvah that it seems to apply to us at all nowadays. Nevertheless, the Rambam does list it amongst the 613 mitzvot. So does that run counter to the principle of that the mitzvot must be internal? So the Rambam himself addresses this. And he says as follows. He says as follows, and this is in Mitzvah Taseh Kuf Peizayin, in other words, positive commandment number 187. He says as follows. It is the commandment that we are supposed to kill and destroy the seven nations of Canaan. Because they are the root of idolatry in its first base. In, in, other, in, in other words, that they are sort of the source of idolatry. Their presence in Israel will definitely uh, affect the people of Israel and cause them to worship idolatry. So as in order to remove this terrible influence, they must be destroyed. Okay? And this is the verse that it says, you must surely annihilate them. And it says in many verses, so that we will not come to learn and be affected from their heresy, which ultimately did happen, because when they entered the land of Israel, Yoshua, and even later generations, they were not successful. They went to war against some of the nations, and but they were not successful in completely destroying them. And they did live in the land of Israel for many, many more years later. And they did affect the people of Israel and cause them to worship idolatry. So ultimately, the, this concern did come to pass. He says, many verses come to encourage uh, the commandment to, 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 to kill them, and war against them is considered a michel mitzvah, a commanded war. Because in, in, in the halachot of milchama, the halachot of war, there is a distinction between two types of war, what we call milchemet mitzvah, commanded war, and milchemet reshut, which is a permissible, but not a commanded war, and they have different halachot. So he says any war against these seven nations is considered a milchemet mitzvah, a commanded war. Somebody could come and say, this mitzvah is a mitzvah which is not eternal. It's not for all generations. Why? Because the seven nations are, have ceased to exist. A person who would think this is only someone who does not understand what it means a mitzvah that is for all generations and what a mitzvah that is not for all generations. Okay, why? So he says, Okay, 
Okay, let's read this closely. He says, a commandment, that is complete, that is finished, when I've reached its purpose, in other words, that I've completed fulfilling it, I've achieved the goal of the mitzvah, when it's not dependent on a specific time, that's not considered that it's not eternal. Rather, it is for all generations, should the circumstances arise. It could be that the circumstances never will arise because, you know, it's already, they've already been, the mitzvah has already been completed, but that doesn't mean the mitzvah is not eternal. It's eternal, it's just that the application of the mitzvah might not be, uh, might not appear or be relevant in each point in time. Okay, for example, he says, Atachshov, Kshiyovad Hashem Yitale Zera Amalek Legamri, the Yachritel Adacharito, Kmoshi Yebim Rabbi Amenu. He says, for example, we also know the mitzvah of Machotim Ched Zecher Amalek, that we must destroy the seed of Amalek. So he says, let's say that occurs at some point. Okay, it's, this is an interesting point here. Um, again, it, it, it sort of uh, digresses from our, our topic, but it seems that the Rambam believed that Amalek still exists, okay? Because he says, like I hope will happen soon. So it seems to, that he believed that Amalek still existed, but um, that, uh, um, that, uh, um, that, that, you know, but that he hopes that it will occur in the future. I see somebody's asking here, the eternal law regarding Amalek is to erase specifically the remembrance of Amalek rather than his seed. Chacham therefore states that the remembrance of Amalek has little to do with ethnicity, but rather with a level of inhuman behavior that cannot be tolerated. This type of threat faces Israel from generation to generation. The Chacham quotes, Yitzchak Abu is taking this position. Do you see how Rambam's words fit with this approach in any way, or is it Amalek or ethnic enemy? Okay, this was, uh, I wasn't familiar with Chacham Faur on this, but this is actually famously said also by um, the Soloveitchik family as well, that they deduced from the fact that Rambam thought that Amalek still existed, and the Chora cannot be. We, 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 we know all, every, you know, we've searched, uh, we've scorched the earth, uh, not necessarily to try to find a Malik, but, you know, we sort of have an idea of all the people that live in the world. We, we can't find anybody that identifies anymore as a Malik. So, but the Rambam still believed that a Malik existed. So how can that be? So the answer that some came to, like, I know the Soloveitchiks, uh, I don't know, I don't remember which one of the Soloveitchik family said it, but one of them said it, and maybe this idea of Chacham Faur saying it, that Amalek is not a, a actual nation, but it's a certain type of ethical behavior or something of the sort. Is that what, uh, is that what he meant? Yeah, it seems to be any human that represents, sorry, any nation that represents that behavior. Right. Um, you have to, that's the connection there with Amalek. He has a whole couple of pages on it. Right. So they said, for example, uh, that the Nazis would be considered Amalek um, according to this theory. I, 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 I see here some, oh, Rev. Phillips writes, Rev. Yosef, uh, uh, Joseph Soloveitchik quoted it from his father, Rav Moshe Soloveitchik. Okay, so that's the story. I think, I think this is what I would call more a midrash on the Rambam. I don't think this is the pshat in the Rambam. 
I think it's clear if you study the halachot of Amalek, Amalek was a nation. It was a nation that was known. Um, it existed. And the mitzvah, the idea behind it is definitely because of the behavior of the Malik. But if you're talking about actual halakha, I think the actual halakha refers to the specific nation of Amalek. I think simply that for some reason, the Rambam thought that Amalek might still exist. He, was, he just didn't know where he was located. Um, I think that's a simpler explanation rather than you know, to come up with this whole uh, theory about Amalek being representing and the mitzvahs being applied to that. I think, I, I don't, I don't think that's the Pshan in the Rambam, although there is a novelty would, to the idea. Would the Dayan say there's any distinction there between the fact that it's to erase the remembrance rather than the seed of Amalek? I mean, that's that's like a, that's an interpola- interpretation of the Psukim, but I'm saying if you look at the actual Alachot, mm. I'm not saying in the Halakha, if you look in the Alachot of, of Amalek in the Rambam, I think to me in any way it's clear you know, that it's talking about a specific nation and people that you need to, to kill. It's, uh, I understand uh, metaphorically the idea of the explanation, but to actually say that's the, that's the meaning of the mitzvah in terms of halacha, I don't think so. Very good question. Somebody asked here, doesn't the Gemara explain since Sancheriv nations have been mixed, so Amalek exists but mixed? Actually, the idea of Sancheriv is also, this is also one of the problems with Amalek. Again, we're sort of digressing from the topic. But basically what happened was that the Assyrians, um, basically when the Assyrian Empire came, they came and they made a whole big mess in the world. They exiled all the nations. And from that point and on, a lot of nations lost their identity. So for example, that applies to nations like Amoni, Moavi, Mitzri, Adumi, all these nations that we have prohibitions of marrying with them, even if they convert, those don't apply anymore ever since the Assyrians came and the Assyrians came and they mixed up all the nations. So that's another question on the Rambam. Why does he believe Amalek to exist? came all the nations cease to exist. Again, all of these are difficulties in the Rambam, which again sort of, which makes the explanation of Chacham Faur or of Moshe Soloveitchik very appealing, but despite despite the, it being appealing, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm still not convinced anyway. Okay, anyway, getting back to here, um, so so okay, so again uh, again, what we're trying to figure out is so what is an eternal and a temporal mitzvah? So says Bam says so he says let's say we one day succeed in eradicating all of Amalek. Okay, does that mean that we no longer have a mitzvah to eradicate Amalek? No. Okay, he says, um, Will we say because of that that the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek doesn't apply to all generations? As long as there is some seed of Amalek to be found, we have a commandment to eradicate it. It could be that there is no longer any Amalek left, but that doesn't make the mitzvah not eternal. It still applies, it's just that we don't have any opportunity to apply it because there is no Amalek to speak of. Same thing he says, This is a commandment we are commanded. It's a, it's a, um, um, a war that um, that 
that um, uh, uh, a commanded war that we need to do. We are commanded to search after them in every generation until they are completely gone and not a single person is left from the seven nations. That's what we did. Until they were all killed off by David Amelech. And so David killed most of them, and the remainders that were left off, they ceased to exist as nations, they were spread out as individuals until they had no memory left, and since then the seven nations are no longer. But that doesn't make the mitzvah not eternal, because if they were to still exist, the mitzvah is still in force. Um, Okay, he says, of that we will not consider this a mitzvah not to last for all generations, just like we don't say an Amalek, because these mitzvot, and here is the key line, they're not connected to a specific time or a specific place. Like the mitzvot, which are specific to the desert, or the mitzvot that were specific to Egypt. Therefore, eternal. It's just that the circumstances might not arise because you need to have um, in Amalek present to cut him off. You need to have the seven nations present to cut them off. They're not present, but it's not that the mitzvah did not apply. In other words, you have to distinguish between the mitzvah and the object or the, the, uh, or the, 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 the object of the mitzvah. It could be that the mitzvah itself is eternal, but the object which the mitzvah is directed at, that is what is missing. The fact that we don't have the, the target of the mitzvah, the object on which you're supposed to fulfill the mitzvah, that it does not exist, doesn't make the mitzvah not eternal. Okay. All right, we're running out of time, so I'll just try to sum this up. What I think that is going on here in, in the Rambam. By the way, this whole distinction that the Rambam here makes with the Shivat Amamim is not so simple. Um, and there actually was a further correspondence of this between a Chacham called Rabina Niela Bavli, who was in Baghdad, and he was a contemporary of the son of the Rambam, Rabbi Avraham ben Rambam, and he corresponded with Rabbi Avraham, the son of the Rambam, on many issues, including on issues of Sefer HaMitzvot. And I put here a link, if somebody wants, um, to um, this correspondence between Rabbi Daniela Bavli and Rabbi Avraham precisely around this point of the, what is the definition of eternal and temporal mitzvah. But I'll, I'll just try to explain briefly um, what I think is going on here in the Rambam and why it's, why it is connected to uh, the definition of Torah. So when we view time, we sort of, we can view time in, in two different ways. There's also, a, what I'm saying now is also based on also a very interesting article that was written from a whole book on, on the principles of Sefer mitzvot written by a number of authors, including uh, Michael Avraham, Gabriel Chazut, a few other um, uh, people that live currently in Israel. And basically, when we view, when we speak of time in the halacha, we can sort of view of time both in a linear 
uh, way, in other words, sort of the way, the, sort of the way that we view history. In other words, there, there's certain linear progression in time that goes through, spans across all of history. And we also view time as also something circular. And when we say, when I say circular, I refer to sort of what we would call the calendar, right? Because the calendar sort of creates for us a time which is circular. Each, each month, you know, it's, 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 it's brought about actually by, you know, the motions of the sun and the moon, or, you know, the day the sun sets and rises every day. So that creates a circular motion for us of the day. The month creates, you know, the moon goes through its cycle. So that creates a circular motion of a month, which repeats itself. The sun has its uh, motion around the earth of the seasons of the year, which creates also a repetition of the year for us. Okay. Now, the halakha has a lot of mitzvot, which are dependent on time. Now, for example, we have mitzvot that are every day, or kriyat we say every day and night. So that has a certain circular motion of repetition of every day. We have mitzvot that will follow the months and the years, like the holidays. Every year, this time arises, arrives again, and it repeats itself every year. But anything which is in the circular motion of time is eternal, because it, it, in, if we look at the, in the sense of the linear uh, time as a linear, um, uh, uh, the linear time, which spans all of history, it doesn't end. In other words, we could have a mitzvah, which is dependent on a specific time, but when we're, we're saying that it depends on a specific time, we're referring to this circular motion of time. But since it constantly repeats itself, in other words, it will it happens on this day, but it will happen on this day, on the next day, or will happen the next year again. If we look on the linear scale, this mitzvah is actually eternal. The mitzvot that are temporal are mitzvot which are said for a specific point in history, and they only apply to that point in history. They don't apply to any point later on than that point. So, for example, all the mitzvot that are listed in the Torah but are referring to things that occurred in the Midbar when they were in Mitzrayim, when they came to Israel, on the linear view of time, they were only in that point and they do not apply later on as well. The eternal mitzvot are the ones that do not have any linear stop to them. They are said from here on, this is what you must do till eternity. Now it could be that we might not have an opportunity to do them at each point in time, because they might not be relevant, the circumstances to fulfill them might not apply, but nevertheless, from that perspective, they are eternal in the sense that on the linear scale, there is no point in time that we say, it's only up to this point and no further. So the mitzvah shivat amamim is eternal. We have to get rid of them. It's not that just you need to get rid of them when you enter the land of Israel. You need to always get rid of them. Why? Because they're a bad influence. They'll cause you to do idolatry. So there is no time limit on that. It's not like other mitzvot that were said, you know, don't attack Moab. That was said just at that time. At later points in history, you can attack them. You are allowed to go to war with them. So that's a mitzvah which is limited in time. The mitzvah of Shivat Amemim, in terms of the commandment, its authority is not limited in time. Now, why is that important for the Rambam? Because the Rambam views the Torah, and this ties into his understanding of the Torah, what makes the Torah unique from any other 
revelation that we had, any other commandments that we give. He says the Torah is by definition, it's, it's, it's a, it's a uh, and this is, he discusses this also in the principle of faith. That's why he listed amongst the principle of faith, the Torah is eternal. In other words, this was a specific revelation that can never be replaced, changed. Nobody can contradict it. That's one of his principles in understanding the Torah. So the 613 mitzvot, which are the embodiment of the Torah, the Torah in the sense of the what we are commanded to do, which is divided up into 613 mitzvot, which is later on divided up into the many details. Again, this is his whole view of the Torah, of how the Torah is built. All of this must fit into an eternal structure because the Torah, by definition, what makes it unique is that this is the commandment which always applies. That is, that is the essence of the Torah that is eternal. And that is why when you include in these 613 mitzvot, it can only include mitzvot which are eternal. There's no point in linear in the linear time frame that it stops and it's no longer there. Now, it doesn't mean that you always have the opportunity to fill all of these mitzvot. Most of the 613 mitzvot, none of us will be able to fulfill. Each one of us only has an opportunity uh, for for some of them, because they're also said to different people, they're said for different circumstances. But from the perspective of the Torah, they always apply. It's just that in terms of the application, they might not apply to each person and in each point in time. But in terms of their authority, uh, their incumbents, they, they are eternal. And that I think is the significance of, of this principle. Okay, any questions or comments or anything? Thank you very much, Dan. Any questions? Anybody wants to put their hands up or unmute Avi? Go ahead. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I need to have to sort of process it and maybe listen, listen to it again because it's quite deep, the idea of what's eternal, what's temporal. But I feel like the Rambam seems to address sort of the practical and the logistical problems. If we don't know where the seven nations are, or we don't know where Amalek is, they'll, they'll mm. resurface one day. But my question is, Hypothetically speaking, if we were successful, theoretically, to you know, in entirely sort of blotting out or eradicating Amalek, by definition, the mitzvah is completed and is no longer applicable, right? So, if we were able to to get rid of Amalek, then the mitzvah is no longer. It, it's not like oh, they may come out. If you were successful in doing it, it's the, the mitzvah cannot be eternal anymore because it's been completed. It's been done. No, I, th I think he. I think that's what he means. Uh, the Shivat Amim will never rise up again. They've been eradicated, and they're over and done with. But nevertheless, the mitzvah is still eternal because the commandment of the mitzvah was not limited. the The object of the mitzvah is the Shivat Amim. That's what he's distinguishing between the two. If if there had been a time limit put on the mitzvah, you only need to eradicate them in this generation, not in a later, later generation. Then that would have made the mitzvah. Temporal, but the fact that the mitzvah was not there was no time limit put on the mitzvah. As far as as far as the the Torah is concerned, if six thousand years later they're still around, you still have to chase after them. Thankfully, they're no longer around, so we so can make a celebration about, to that. But that doesn't make the mitzvah not eternal. So it's more about being time bound and not time bound, as opposed to yeah. In term, in other words, is the commandment was the commandment restricted to a specific time, or was this commandment was said from now on till eternity, this is what you should do. That doesn't mean that you will always be able to do it, that you will always need to do it. But the 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 authority of the of the commandment is eternal. Thank you. 
Anybody else with a question? Please feel free to unmute. Rav, the, the proofs that the Rambam brings that, the, that there's 613, for example, equals to Tanahuma, those are asmachtot, right? Meaning the principle exists from Harsinai, and then he's just using these as nice, um, as nice sources to, to support that. Again, I think I, you know, the, the sources themselves don't don't seem, you know, very strong on their own. In other words, the sources are good if you follow the understanding of the Rambam as this is what is Torah. In other words, because he understood Torah as definition having to be something eternal. Then he says, okay, then when Chazal said Sinai, which again, Sinai, the Rambam understands as a concept. In other words, within the framework of the Rambam, this is a good proof. If somebody were to, you know, reject this, this framework, this thought, then, you know, I don't think these proofs would, uh, would, would, would is what that would stand in their way. Again, there are other points that are more difficult. For example, the Rambam says, you know, I could come up with 300 mitzvot. Okay, then you would really be in a bind because then you would be stuck with the numerical aspect. Okay, but... Um, in terms of those proofs, I agree with you. But in the thinking of the Rambam, I think they are convincing. In other words, in the, his understanding of what Torah is. Mm -hmm. And this principle really opens up the door in the Rambam's worldview for the internal effect of the mitzvot. Meaning Amalek is not here to externally to be dealt with, but internally it must be dealt with. Okay, I mean, that's another stage that you could take. I'm not denying that. You could say... Even if I don't have an opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah, there is value for it. To me, there is meaning for it. You, that's a, but that's, a, that's another step beyond. On the basic level, you don't even need to get to that. You can say, you know, practically, I didn't have the opportunity. But in theory, the mitzvah is still in full force. I mean, if that's, if that's the case, then, then we can make the same argument regarding the man. That the man is just, I didn't have the opportunity to take double. No, but then, but the man, again, this, this is where things become fuzzy. And again, this is part of the argument. But the man was specifically said for that generation, even if you would have somehow, you would be able to have man falling again, you would be able to allow to leave it to the next day. There's no restriction. It's not that just we don't have man nowadays. Even if we were to have to have man, we would not, we would be allowed to, to put it in our freezer you know, for that uh, black hole that will open up, you know, before Pesach when we clean our house. We wouldn't be allowed to do that. Thank you. Thank you. And Rachel, I think you have a question. I'm puzzled by this um, thing of the, uh, the seven nations disappear because, uh, and that puts this commandment. Is this complicated in terms of God's omniscience? that God would presumably have known that there would be a time when the seven nations weren't there anymore. It seems as though uh, Rambam's saying that well, it's just a circumstance the seven nations uh, aren't around. But if these were given by an omniscient God, then surely that has to be sort of anticipated in the system. So why is this potential that they come back? No, I think, I think you know, that's actually the goal of the mitzvah. The whole goal of the mitzvah is to not have them anymore. And that was one of the sins of Israel. If you if you study the book of Shoftim, that's what they're criticized for, for sort of having of being lax about it and not eradicating the the Shivat Amamim. So even though this was done in the time of David, it would have been better if they had done it earlier. In other words, 
but so on the one hand, we do want the mitzvah to be fulfilled and not apply anymore. That's sort of the goal that we're after, the goal that God is after when he commanded. But on the other hand, from the perspective of an internal mitzvah, since it's not, there's no time limit to it. In other words, it's not that it only applies until this year and not afterwards. So from that perspective, it's eternal. Although it certainly is anticipated that and hoped that it will be fulfilled and not relevant practically as soon as possible. That was the whole goal of the mitzvah. So I don't think those two concepts are in conflict from the, the perspective of Ahambam. In other words, even if Yoshua had done it on day one, you know, and had nuked all of them, then, you know, it would still be considered an eternal mitzvah, according to Ahambam. Thank you, Rav. Anybody else with any questions? Feel free to unmute. Simon's got a question. What about mitzvot that Chazal say never occurred in practice? Okay, that's also, um, I mean, there the sort of the question is, is why listed as a mitzvah at all? But again, I think you would answer the same thing. Anytime uh, we'll have the circumstances of ben soreh umoreh, the mitzvah would apply. It's just that because the circumstances are so rare, um, you know, that's sort of why does Ben Soleil Umeh never occur? Because the way Chazal explained the details of Ben Soleil Moreh, it's, it's basically nearly impossible that, you know, the chance of that occurring are, are nearly impossible. So again, it never occurred in practice, but the mitzvah is eternal. And again, also we could say, you know, well, there's also some philosophical value to the idea of Ben Solomon. But just even just from the perspective of the mitzvah is eternal. It could be that it never came to be because, you know, the situation is so rare that it never actually occurred in practice. Brilliant. Thank you, Diane. I mean, it's now 11.38 for you in Israel. So I don't want to take any more of your time. Uh, thank okay. you so much for being here, Diane. Really. Uh, inspiring and educational as usual. We can't wait to have you as part of, well, yeah, the next time we have you will be as part of the membership curriculum, uh, three-part series on Eben Ha'ezer. Um, so thank you for being with us pre-membership. Looking forward to you being with us during membership and please God, beyond that. Everybody, thank you. Good day, good night, wherever you are. And we will catch you next week. I believe next week is Rav Yoni Rosenzweig giving a sure on um, his book that he's written on medical and uh, mental health and halacha. So uh, we'll all be in the WhatsApp group. Stay tuned. Uh, in the meantime, thechabura.com. Catch everything there. Thank you, everyone. And Diane, good night. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Have a great day.